Amen. All right, well, we're there in Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, tonight we are starting a new chapter in the book of Ephesians. Of course, on uh, Wednesday nights, we are in our Bible study night, so we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible, and we've been going through uh, the book of Ephesians, and we're not only starting a new chapter Uh, But we're starting a new section in the book. And if you remember last week, I talked to you about the fact that the way that Paul would write his books, and this is true of all of his letters, he would begin in the beginning with kind of dealing with doctrine and theology, and then he would kind of shift gears and end with a lot of practical application. And that's what we're starting. We're in the beginning of that chapter. Now, when you read the verses uh, that we're going to cover tonight, we're not going to cover the entire chapter. We're going to cover, honestly, just a third of this chapter uh, tonight, you, you may think it's not practical, but it's really the foundation uh, of, of, of kind of practical Christian living that uh, we, we have to start with. And I want you to notice that there is a theme in this portion of Scripture, and I, I want to point it out to you just by way of introduction. You're there in Ephesians 4, look at verse 1. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. And, and I want you to notice that in, in verse 2 is where he begins this idea, because in, in, the, in the previous chapters, Paul has not told us to do anything. In fact, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, he's been, it's been all about what God has done for us. Now he's going to begin to tell us what to do. And really, verse 2 is where he starts that. He's telling us, with all lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. And then he says this in verse 3, and this is really the theme of what he's talking about. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And there is this theme in this section of Scripture that has to do with unity. It has to do with endeavoring to keep the unity. And notice he uses that word peace. He says, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, why does it say peace? Because in order to have unity, you must have peace. And notice this theme is in this passage. Look at verse uh, number four. He says, there is one body, emphasizing unity, and one Spirit emphasizing unity, and even as you are called in one hope of your calling, emphasizing unity in the body of Christ, and unity by the Holy Spirit of God, and unity by the hope by which we are called. Notice verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, all of it emphasizing unity. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And in fact, if you skip down to verse number 13, and we're going to come back and, and, and break down these verses here in a minute. But notice verse 13, he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith. And I want you to notice that there is this theme in this chapter of unity. But specifically, there is this theme of endeavoring to keep the unity. Look at verse 13, excuse me, verse 3 again. Endeavoring to keep the unity. That word endeavoring means to try hard to achieve something. It means to put energy, it means to, uh, to put effort uh, behind something. And here's what Paul is saying, and this is what we're going to deal with tonight. He talks about the fact 
that we need to try hard, that we need to put effort, that we need to put energy uh, behind this idea of keeping unity. And, and here's why he says that. And the primary application is within the church, and I'm going to give you other applications tonight, but here's why you need to understand that Paul is teaching this. And by the way, as, as you read the, the letters of Paul, you'll find that this is a common theme in Paul's writings. If you read Philippians, if you read Colossians, and we're going to turn to several of those passages tonight, he often emphasizes this idea of unity, and here's why he does it. Because uh, our sin nature makes it difficult for us to have unity. Because of the fact that we are still in our flesh, and we're still dealing with and struggling with sin, that means that unity will not happen naturally. Unity is not something that is going to just happen all on its own. And you know this intuitively already, especially if you've ever had children, if you had young children, you know that you put a bunch of little kids together and their flesh, just by nature, they're not going to have unity. You know, you can get, you can get uh, uh, four little girls, and uh, we've got six kids, two boy, our two uh, sons are the older kids, and four little girls. You can have four little girls, give them four little dolls, and they all want to fight about the one doll. And it's like, it's the same doll. We bought the same doll four times. And they, but they, you know, they want to fight, you know, well, I want that one. And, you know, why is it that way? Because our sin nature makes it so that we cannot have unity. And Paul talks about the fact that we must endeavor, that we must put energy and effort to have unity. And by the way, because the church is an assembly of people, because the church is a congregation, because the church is a called-out assembly of individuals, and we uh, all are still working, and we are in our sin nature, and we're working to be more like Christ. But because a church is an assembly of people, you're going to have problems when you unite people. When you bring people together, there's going to be friction. When you bring people together, there's going to be issues. Wherever and whenever you have people together, you will have friction, you'll have problems. And for this reason, we must put effort into having unity. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul tells us how. Now, I want you to just break this down for you. And there's really two major ideas of two major points and then um, some sub points that I'll give you. But the first point is this, and if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to take notes. If you take notes during our Bible study nights, and if you're here every Wednesday, you know, you'll have an entire uh, outlined uh, uh, book of the Bible that you can go back and reference to later or t- help, you know, teach other people or whatever. The first uh, idea that the Apostle Paul gives us in regards to unity is this, is that in order to keep unity, we must walk in unity. In order to keep unity, we must walk in unity. And when he uses this word walk, what he means is our actions, the way we live our lives. We must live our lives in a way that is walking in the direction or walking with the purpose of having unity. And, and, and really what he's saying is this, that you and I must realize that we've been called to walk in unity and we must walk worthy of that unity. Look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and of course we know that Paul is writing this letter from prison, and he's talking about the fact that he's the prisoner of the Lord. He says, beseech you. That word beseech means I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you, I'm I'm asking you very earnestly. He says, beseech you that ye walk, notice, that ye walk 
worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, the word vocation is a word that means calling. And here's what he says. He says, I want you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. He said, I want you to walk worthy of your calling. And you say, well, what calling is that? Uh, 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 Paul, and, and of course, we could say there's lots of things that we've been called to do, but one thing that maybe you don't think about, that when you got saved, when you became a Christian, and especially when you began to walk with the Lord and began to be a disciple, one thing that you were called to do is to walk in unity. Now, keep your place here in Ephesians 4. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of John, John chapter number 17. John 17, towards the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 17. And let me just begin by talking about the call for unity and the importance of unity. Why is unity important? You know, why, why would Paul spend several verses talking about unity here in Ephesians? And he talks about it in other books and other epistles to other churches. What's the big deal about unity? Why do we need to walk worthy of unity? Why do we need to walk worthy of the calling where we have been called? You say, Pastor, really? I've been called to be in unity with other believers? John 17. I want you to notice verse 9. I've showed you this passage before. This is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ praying before his uh, death, burial, and resurrection. This is often referred to as his, uh, as his high priestly prayer. I like to call it the real Lord's Prayer because what we normally call the Lord's Prayer is him teaching his disciples to pray. Here, we're actually listening in to the Lord Jesus Christ pray. And I want you to notice what he prays about. There's several things he prays about and lots of things we can learn. Notice verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. And then I want you to notice the next few things that he says. He says, that they may be one as we are. Now, I want you to notice that one of the prayers that Jesus had for you and for me, I mean, he's praying here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he also prays for those who will believe. He's praying for all believers, not just those that are his contemporaries, but those that will come in the future. He's literally praying for us in this passage. And one of the things that he prayed is that we would be one, that we would be united, that there would be unity. He says, I pray for the believers in the future, Jesus would say, that they would have unity, he says, as we are. In the same way that the Father and the Son had unity, he said, I want them to have unity. Go to Mark, chapter number 3. You're there in John. If you just head back uh, past the book of Luke into the book of Mark, Mark chapter 3. And again, you might ask this question and say, I don't know. Am I really interested in, in learning about unity? Because here's what I know. That when, if you preach a sermon on unity, right, it's probably not, it's probably not the sermon you're going to click on. Like, you're here, so you're stuck, just kind of with whatever I'm preaching on a Wednesday night. But if you weren't here and you were watching online, and it's like, huh, you know, psychopath reprobates or a sermon on unity, you're probably going to hit psychopath reprobates. You know, you're probably going to hit, and, and, and that's fine, you know. But here's the thing. Unity is important. You say, why? Well, first of all, because Jesus calls you and I to live in unity. 
Because Jesus prayed that you and I would have unity. I mean, that should make it important enough. But, but there's a reason why Jesus calls you and calls me and prays for us to live in unity. And it's this reason that if we do not live in unity, we will fail. Mark chapter 3, look at verse 24. Notice what Jesus says. He says, and if a kingdom, he says, and if a kingdom be divided against itself, notice what he says, that kingdom cannot stand. He says, and if a house, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And Jesus taught this principle here in Mark 3. He says, look, you must live in unity because divided you will fall. Divided you will not succeed. Divided you will not win in life. And here's the truth. A church, a church cannot survive while living in disunity. And you say, well, I don't care about that. Okay, well, do you care about this? Your marriage can't survive while living in disunity. Your parenting cannot survive. You will fail as a parent. Uh, You will fail in raising your children when your house is divided and there's no unity. You will fail in your marriage. Workplace will fail. You'll fail. At work, whether you're the boss or the manager, if you're the employer, it will not work. Jesus said, a kingdom, you said, what about a nation? Divided against itself, it cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. A church divided against itself cannot stand. And here's what he says. The key to success is unity. Why? And we've talked about it on Sunday mornings, and I feel like I'm just kind of repeating myself sometimes, but it's what God has given us, and it's where the Lord is leading us, so he must just want us to know it. But here's why, because what we learned on Sunday morning was this, that your success is based on the relationships you have with people. Winning in life will not come based on the achievements or the accumulation of of uh, positions or possessions. It'll come with how you invested your life in other people. So if winning, if success comes with how I invested myself into others and then I live my life divided from others, you can't win. So Jesus says, a kingdom divided against itself, it cannot stand. A house divided against itself, it cannot stand. He says, I've called you to unity because I've called you to live in community and I need you to live united. So Paul would say this. He said, you must walk in unity. And then he gives us this list. And if you would, go go back to Ephesians 4. And we're going to spend a little bit of time just on this one verse, verse 2. He says, look, you need to realize that you've been called to walk worthy of unity. He says, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And then he begins to explain to us what that looks like. What does it look like to walk worthy of unity? What are the characteristics of unity? And again, the primary application in this passage is in church world. But all of this will apply in your marriage, with your children, at work. All of this will apply in any area of life where you are interacting with other human beings. He says, look, if you want to live united, if you want to live in unity, then there are some characteristics, some things you're going to have to do. Notice verse 2. He says, with all, and here's our first characteristic, he says, lowliness. With all lowliness. The word lowly means a humble attitude, a humble behavior, or a humble spirit. Now keep your place there in Ephesians 4.2. 
All right, we're going to be leaving Ephesians, coming back and forth, so make sure you're able to get to it quickly. But go to Philippians, if you would, Philippians chapter number 2. You're there in Ephesians, so just the next book over is Philippians, Philippians chapter number 2. And he says, look, you want to live in unity? You want to live in unity here at Verity Baptist Church with your fellow church members? You want to live in unity with your husband or with your wife? Are you feeling disconnected, divided from your children, and you want to restore that and live in unity? Are you having disunity at work? Are you having disunity with other relationships? He says, look, there are some characteristics to walking in unity. You say, what are they? Paul would say, I'm glad you asked. Number one, lowliness. Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 1. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, now I want you to notice, because I told you that this is a common theme for the Apostle Paul, and here in Philippians 2, we're going to see this theme again of unity. Notice what he says. If any fellowship, what is that? Unity. Because you can't fellowship with someone if you're not in unity with them. You can't fellowship with someone if you're divided from them, if you're quarreling with them, if you're arguing with them, if you're fighting with them. He says, look, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, verse 2, notice what he says, that ye be like-minded. What does that mean? Unity. Having the same love. What does that mean? Unity. Being of one accord. What does that mean? Unity. Of one mind. What is he talking about? Unity. Now look, he's talking about unity. He says, I want you to be in fellowship. I want you to be like-minded. He said, I want you to be uh, thinking in, in a unified way. I want you to be loving in a unified way. I want you to be striving in one accord in a unified way. I want you to have one mind, one spirit, one love, one uh, 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 purpose. Notice verse 3. Then he says this, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. He said, look, you can't live in unity while you're fighting with each other, while you're striving with each other, while some of you are interested in making sure you get the vain glory. Well, I didn't get the credit. I didn't get the attention. I want the spotlight. I want this and I want that. And here's what he says. He says, look, you cannot have unity. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. And then he said, well, how do we avoid that? Notice, but in lowliness of mind but in lowliness of mind. Why? Because lowliness of mind, lowliness, humility, is the only way that you and I can live in unity. You say, why? Because the only way that you and I can live in unity is if we learn to do the next part, verse 3, let each esteem other better than themselves. Amen. You all have a good marriage? Let each esteem other better than themselves. You want to get along with your coworkers? Learn to esteem others better than yourselves. You want, to, you want to have friends here at church? Learn to esteem others better than yourself. You say, yeah, but I have a problem with esteeming others better than myself. Yeah, because you're not uh, uh, being lowly. Because it is pride. It is pride that causes us to fight. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to jot this uh, reference down, Proverbs 13.10, the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. And whenever there's contention, whenever there's fighting, whenever there's arguing, whenever there's uh, uh, two people going at it, just know this, at least one and probably both parties have a, uh, an issue with pride. You say, well, I don't like that. I don't think I, I agree with that. Then you don't agree with the Bible because the Bible says only by pride cometh contention. 
Whenever there's contention, it's because pride is involved. Whenever there's contention, it's because arrogance is involved. Whenever there's contention, it's because I think, I think I'm better than you. say, well, I've never said that. But you say things like, I don't deserve this. You, you, you shouldn't do that to me. Okay. You must think very highly of yourself. You want unity? Let each learn to esteem other better than themselves. He says, look, you've got to walk you got to walk in unity. You say, how do I do that? You do it in lowliness. And what does that really mean? Here's what it means. Lowliness is the opposite of arrogance. You will never. You will never have healthy relationships. You will never have healthy relationships with other people in your life while you live in arrogancy, in pride, in, in being puffed up in esteeming yourself better than everyone else. Paul says this. Paul says, look, you need unity. He said, in fact, Jesus called you to unity, and you cannot survive without it because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And then we would say, okay, Paul, what do we do? And he says, step one, lowliness. You say, ah, I don't know about that. He said, well, you better buckle up because it gets worse from here. Then he says, there's another step. Go back to Ephesians 4, look at verse 2. He says, with all lowliness... He says, with all lowliness. What does that mean, Paul? That means let each esteem other better than themselves. That means that you've got to take a humility pill. That means that you've got to maybe realize maybe you're not as big and as bad and you don't deserve as much as you think you do. He says, with all lowliness. And then he says this, and meekness. And meekness. What does the word meek mean? It means to be gentle and kind. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you got your place there in Ephesians and you go backwards, you've got Ephesians, Galatians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. While you turn there, let me just read to you from Matthew eleven twenty nine. You don't have to turn there. You go to 2 Corinthians 10, and I'll read to you from Matthew eleven twenty nine. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I, this is Jesus speaking, for I am meek and Lowly. It's interesting how he connects those two in heart. And you shall find rest unto your soul. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I'm meek and I'm lowly. Paul says, you want to walk in unity? You got to walk in lowliness and meekness. Are you there in 2 Corinthians 10? Look at verse 1. Notice what Paul says to the church at Corinth. And by the way, the church at Corinth was a messed up church. They had all sorts of carnal Christians fighting and arguing. I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. They had cliques and issues. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you, notice what he says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. What does it mean to be meek? It means to be gentle. In fact, Paul, Paul used the words interchangeably to describe. He said, I'm going to beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. You say, I want to have relationships that are in unity. I want to be in unity with my fellow believers. I want to be in unity with my spouse. I want to be in unity with the rest of the members of my family. You say, how do I do it? How do I get, how do I get everybody on board? I mean, how do I get everybody on the same page? Maybe you're wondering about your kids. You know, my kids, they don't seem like they're that interested. They don't seem like they're that involved in the things of God. How do I get them all? How do I get everybody uh, uh, connected and involved at work? It doesn't seem like I can get everybody. You know, everybody's kind of doing their own thing and everybody's off to, no, nobody's really connected. There's no purpose. We're not we're connected together. How do, what, how do we fix that? And Paul would say this. Paul would say, well, number one, work at being lowly 
And then number two, he said, work at being gentle. He said, with all lowliness and meekness. Go to Colossians. If you kept your place there in Ephesians, just turn to Colossians. You're going to go past Philippians into the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. What's the opposite of gentle? Harsh. What's the opposite of gentle? Hard. Harsh. If we want to put it into how we treat people, rude, angry, mean. Look, here's all I'm telling you. You do what you want with it. Your marriage cannot survive while you are divided. A house divided against itself cannot stand. You will fail at raising your children if you are not in unity with them. A house divided against itself cannot stand. This church will fail if we cannot maintain unity amongst the members. And God says, how do you do it? Well, number one, you got to be lowly. you got to esteem others better than yourself, not esteem yourself better than others. And then number two, he says, you got to be meek. you got to be gentle. You say, what does that look like? It looks like this, not being harsh. And by the way, this is what Paul tells us in all of his passages when he applies, gives us application for relationships. Are you there in Colossians 3? Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. And then he says this, and be not bitter against them. What's he saying? Don't be harsh with your wife. Don't be harsh with your spouse. Or, and look, here's the thing. You can apply it either way. He's talking to the husbands here, but wife, don't be harsh with your husband. Oh, well, she just makes me so mad and so upset and I just get so angry and I just have a short temper and this is how I've always been. Then change. Oh, I just, I just speak it how it is, and I just tell people. And I love how people not, they try to tell you, they, they, I just tell the truth. No, you're just rude. You don't have to say everything that comes, out, comes into your brain. We don't need to hear everything that comes into your, out of your sinful heart. And you say, well, I just, this is how I am. Okay, go ahead and fail at marriage. Go ahead and fail with, with your kids. Go ahead and fail. And you sit there and you wonder, I wonder why I don't have any friends in church. Maybe because you're harsh. You want to live in unity? Paul would say. You need to be meek. You need to be gentle. Don't be bitter against your spouse. Love your spouse. Look at verse 21, same chapter, Colossians 3. He says, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Why can't I get my kids on the same page with me? Maybe because you're harsh. Maybe because you're provoking them to anger. Maybe because we all get defensive when people are rude and mean to us. Maybe because you actually catch more bees with honey, right? Or something like that. I don't know what the phrase is. Go, go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 4. Paul talks about this. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, you, you've got your place here in Ephesians 4. Just go a couple chapters over. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And again, this applies, he's talking to fathers here, but this applies... To, to mothers as well. Now, I think he's talking about fathers because fathers have a problem with this. Dads generally have a problem with just having a short fuse and a short temper and just getting impatient and upset. And look, I'm confessing your faults one to another. I'm telling you, I struggle with this. I'm not standing up here telling you, you know, I'm Mr. Rogers at home and, you know, I'm just this wonderful, you know, never get upset about anything. Uh, you know, I, I preach these sermons and write these sermons and I have to watch myself with my kids. But let me tell you something. You want to lose the heart of your children? Be harsh. 
You want to lose the respect of your children? Be harsh. You want to lose the influence that you have on your children? Be harsh. You want to lose, you lose influence and relate? He said, look, Paul says, hey, provoke not your children to wrath. How about work? Same thing at work. Ephesians 6, look at verse 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. And ye masters. He's, he's saying, you're, you're the boss. You're the business owner. You're the employer. You're the manager. And ye masters, do the same things unto them. And he says, forbearing, threatening. He said, don't, don't have this relationship with your employees where you're just constantly threatening them. Show up late one more time. See what happens. He says, look, forbearing threatening. You say, why? Because, look, you cannot live a united life with another individual while you're being harsh to them, while you're being bitter towards them, while you're being threatening towards them, while you're having anger and wrath, while you're being hostile. And Paul would say this, you have been called to live as a Christian in unity. You say, how do I do it? You start with lowliness. I'm not as high as I like to think I am sometimes. And maybe I'd esteem others better than myself. And then he says, what do I do next, Paul? He would say, try meekness. What does that mean, to be gentle? And by the way, Jesus said, I am meek and gentle. When you live like this, you live like Christ. I'm just like Jesus because I go soul winning every Saturday. I'm all for you going soul winning Saturday, and I think you ought to go soul winning every week, and I preach about you going soul winning every week. But you know where true Christianity comes in? It's not with the outward actions, but with the inward attitude. Meekness, lowliness. And by the way, you don't have to turn here, but I'll just go ahead and say it. 2 Timothy 2.24, pastors. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. You know, in, in, in every area of life, in relationships, we need to be gentle. We need to be, have meekness. Go back to Ephesians 4. Let me give you the third step. Ephesians 4, look at verse 2 again. With all lowliness and meekness. Then he says this, with long-suffering. Long-suffering. What does that mean? Long-suffering means enduring trouble or injury. I like to define it this way. Putting up with something bad for a long time. I mean, that's what the word, look at the word. Long-suffering, right? The word suffering means allow, but in our modern Way we suffering is like I'm going through a, a heartache, a trial. And Paul says, Look, you need to be long suffering. You want to live in unity with others? You got to be long suffering. He says, uh, uh, endure, he, It means enduring trouble or injury, putting up with something bad for a long time. You don't have to turn here. 2 Peter 3 9, the Bible says this, and I just want to point this out to you because we saw lowliness and we saw that Jesus was lowly. We saw meekness and we saw that Jesus was meek. We see the word long suffering, and here's a famous verse with that word 2 Peter 3 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what Paul is teaching us? He's teaching us to be Christ-like, to be like God, to be long-suffering. Aren't you thankful God is long-suffering with you? With all, all the mistakes I've made and all the sins I've done and all the stupidest things in my life, God just suffers long with me? And then Paul says, look, you want to live united with others? You want to live in unity? He said, you need loneliness. You need meekness. You need long-suffering. Then he says this, if you go back to Ephesians 4, 
He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering. Then he says this, forbearing one another in love. What does that mean? It just means to endure. It just means to endure. It, the idea is that you've got a burden and you're kind of holding that burden up. You're just enduring with it. I often tell people when I counsel with them, it's kind of become a joke at our church. I often tell people who come into my office and they counsel. And I usually, I, I, have, I have just a few lines. One of them is this, just weather the storm. Oh, my marriage, weather the storm. Oh, my kid, weather the storm. Oh, I'm having these financial issues. Get out of debt and weather the storm. <laughs> I'm, have, you know, I'm having this. You know, and what does that, what does that mean? It, mean? it means forbear, endure. Just, just be long-suffering. Don't quit. Stay with it. Stay in it. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I just want to show you, this is a big deal. You think, ah, unity is no big deal. No, this is a big deal. Amen. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to Paul. And by the way, let me just tell you this. There is, if there's one thing that you want to just have me get in your personal bubble and your personal space, mess with unity at Verity Baptist Church, and you'll see me get very personal. You know, I, I, I have a low tolerance when it comes to gossiping and backbiting and cliques and, and people fighting an issue. I have a low tolerance with it because I know how devastating it is to a church to not live in unity because a house divided against itself cannot stand. And we have to, we have to protect unity. And Paul says, look, this is important. I wrote about it in Ephesians. I wrote about it in Philippians. Notice Colossians. Colossians 3, look at verse 12. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels. And, he, and he's using this idea. He's telling you to put on a coat. He's going to use the same idea in Ephesians. Later on, we'll look at it in a different sermon. But he says this, bowels of mercies. Mercy. That's unity. Kindness. That's unity. I mean, doesn't that sound similar? Mercy, kindness, kind of like meekness, lowliness. Humbleness of mind is not like lowliness. Meekness. Long-suffering. You see how he just emphasizes this in all his letters? He says, you need to put on bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. Amen. And then he says this, and forgiving one another. Amen. Forgiving one another. Let me tell you something. Brother Matt just preached a great sermon on, on forgiveness. And let, me, let me just tell you something. When, if you are living your life withholding forgiveness from someone, you will fail in life. Because you can't live withholding forgiveness. I'll just never forgive them for what they did to me. You must think very highly of yourself. You got to go back to lowliness. <laughs> I'll never forgive them. I'll, I'll, I'll keep forgiveness. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Here's what he said. He says, look, he said, and, and Brother Matt made the point. I just want to make the point again. You mean to tell me that the holy, perfect, sinless Son of God, who your sins put on the cross, can forgive you? And you're a sinful, rotten individual, you and me and all of us deserve to die and go to hell, but we'll withhold forgiveness. He says, forbearing one another. Forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And he's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you're going to succeed in life, 
He's telling the church at Ephesus, if this church is going to succeed, you got to walk worthy of your vocation. What vocation is it, Paul? Unity. How do we do it, Paul? He says, lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing. Then he goes back, if you would go back, Ephesians chapter 4. He has these two main ideas. And the first one is having to do with our walk, which is our actions, how we live our lives. We must live our lives in unity. Lowliness, esteeming others better than ourselves. Meekness, being gentle, not harsh. Long-suffering, putting up with it for a long time. Weathering the storm. Forbearing. Just kind of carrying that burden. And staying with it. And sticking with it. Paul would say this, you must walk in unity. But then he gives a second idea. And here's the second point for tonight. And we'll be done soon. He says, not only must you... Uh, walk in unity in order to keep unity. But then he would say point number two is this. To keep unity, you must worship in unity. He says you must walk in unity. But then he also says you must worship in unity. Notice Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then he says this. And none of these things have to do with actions. They have to do with things that we believe. Things that we put our faith in. He says there is one body. He says there's one body of of Christ. There's one body that we're uh, put into at salvation. It's Christ. He says, and one spirit. There's one spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. There's only one hope. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. One Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. One faith. Oh, I believe that any faith will lead you to heaven. We follow our faith, and the Muslims follow their faith, and the Hindus follow their... No, no, there's one faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And here's what he said, and you don't miss it. When he says, God is above all, meaning you think real highly of yourself, right? Don't forget, God is above you. Then he says, and through all, through all, Oh, I don't need anybody. I'm just a lone ranger. I don't need anybody. I'm going to be divided. Well, he says he's through all of us. He wants us connected. Then he says, in you all. Look, do you realize that when you quarrel and fight, when you argue and complain, when you criticize and gossip against another believer in Christ, you are gossiping against an individual that Jesus died for? That the Holy Spirit indwells? That God has sealed and secured and redeemed. And he says, he says, look, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. He's the Father of all. We're one big family. Who is above all and through all and in you all. And here's what he's saying. He's saying what unites us is what we believe. It's our faith. It's God. You don't have to turn here, but in Revelation 5 and verse 9, the Bible says this, and they sung a new song, saying, this is, of course, at the throne room of God, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. They're talking to Jesus. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nations. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact 
that believers from diverse countries, languages, cultures, economic classes, backgrounds, we can all unite over one thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Paul would say, look, you've got to walk worthy of unity, but you must worship in unity as well. We must unite. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, we must unite over what we believe. We must unite over what we believe. Are you there in Ephesians 4? Look at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity, and we're going we're gonna to deal with verses 12 and 11 and 10 in, in another sermon. He's talking about Christian maturity and growing, and he says, here's how you know you're mature. Here's how you know that you've grown. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And here's what he's saying. We must unite over what we believe. If you would, go to Philippians real quickly. We're almost done. Philippians chapter number 1. You got Ephesians and the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 1. Look at verse number 27. Here's what it comes down to. We unite. We must unite over worship. We must walk in unity. We must worship in unity. We have to unite over what we believe. By the way, this is why the Sunday night series is so important. You might think like, oh, doctrine, that's boring, I don't need that. Well, look, that's what unites us, is what we believe. We need to know what we believe. We must unite in doctrine. Philippians 1.27, notice what the Bible says. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Notice the wording, that ye stand fast in one spirit. That's unity. With one mind, that's unity. Striving together, that's unity. How do we do it? For the faith of the gospel. How do we do it? Based on what we believe. What's faith? What we believe. Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42, if you would. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42, the Bible says this. And they continued steadfastly. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice these are all things that we as a church need to do if we're going to continue. We need to have fellowship. By the way, that's why we do things like the married couple sweetheart banquet. Don't skip stuff like that. You really, you say, oh, Pastor, you just want us to come. Look, you don't think I've got something better to do on a Friday night. <laughs> you, you say, why do you do, why do, you do that? Here's why we do that, because you need it. And because I need it. Because we need to fellowship together. We need to spend time together. God put us in community together. God wants you to be in community with other believers. So don't skip, you know, I, I never go to those events. You got to go. You got to have fun. You got to go and meet other people and, and fellowship. Because look, you can only continue if you continue in fellowship. And you can only continue in breaking of bread. Again, fellowship and in prayer and all that. But notice, he also says this. He says, in the Apostles' Doctrine. They continued steadfastly, what? In the Apostles' Doctrine. Why? Notice how it's the first thing on the list. Look, we've got to unite on God. It's first pure, then peaceable. That's what James says. So we unite over doctrine. We unite over what we believe. We continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Go to Romans 16. i got to be done. Romans chapter 16, look at verse 17. You're there in Acts. Just flip one book over to Romans 16. Look at verse 17. Romans 16, verse 17. The Bible says this. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. 
which you have learned. And Paul says, and avoid them. You know, we ought to unite over what we believe, but you know, we must also separate over what we believe. We can't, look, we can't separate. We can't have fellowship with people who believe different things than we do. We're not, we're not going to join up and fellowship with people who have a false gospel, have a false Bible. And we're not saying that, that other churches that are different and, 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 and doctrines that are maybe not a, a major doctrine. We understand all doctrines are major, but it's not something that's going to send somebody to hell. It's not a damnable heresy. Look, we understand that. But at the same time, there comes a time when we've got to separate. Now, look, we'll let people come in here and, 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 and be new and kind of check us out and be guests. We'll let them come in here just not knowing exactly what they believe and what they think. I'm not sure what I think about the King James Bible. I'm not sure what I think about eternal security. And I'm not sure what I think about that doctrine, that doctrine. That's fine. But you know what? Eventually, you need to get on board. We're not just going to allow people to come in here and, well, let me give you all the reasons why I don't believe the King James Bible. Well, we all believe the King James Bible is the Word of God, and we need unity. Amen. Let me give you all the reasons why I doubt eternal security. They need to go find a church where you can doubt eternal security with them, because we're all sure. Yeah. We're all secure. Yeah. And we must, look, we must unite. We must unite over doctrine. And we must separate over doctrine. And the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul would say, go back to Ephesians 4, we'll be done right here. Ephesians 4, verse 13. He's, he would say this, till we all come, Ephesians 4, 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now you can sit there and say, I don't need unity, I don't need this sermon, I can be proud and arrogant and mean and rude and harsh, and I can do all that and my marriage will be fine and my kids will be fine and everything will be fine, just know this, Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And a church divided against itself cannot stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A workplace, you apply it however you want. A marriage, you'll fail. You'll fail. If you don't endeavor, put energy, put effort behind unity. How do I do it? Lowliness, meekness. Long-suffering, forbearance. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. I know that these verses, there's one faith and one body and one spirit and one hope, one God and Father of all. It might sound poetic and we might think it's just kind of fluff and Paul just put that in there to sound spiritual. But there's a reason Paul wrote these things under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He wants us to have unity. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to have unity. Lord, I, I pray if there's an area in our lives where, where we our actions are causing disunity. Maybe it's the way we see ourselves in comparison to others. Maybe it's the way we speak to others. Maybe it's the fact that we are impatient with others. Lord, help us to live and walk in unity because the house divided against itself cannot stand. And you've called us to unity. You've prayed for us to live in unity. I pray, Lord, you'd help us all to begin to work today to walk worthy of the vocation wherein we have been called. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.